This is The Weekender on Y95, brought to you by Eris Yarmouth. Good morning and welcome to The Weekender on Y95, brought to you by Eris Yarmouth, your one-stop healthy home center. I'm Kevin Northup. The Weekender for Saturday, October 15th, 2022. Coming up this hour, the Yarmouth Town and County Sports Heritage Association will induct several athletes and teams into the Hall of Fame tonight at the Yarmouth Lions Hall. We speak with Association Director Gloria Goodwin. The Town of Yarmouth has a Deer Management Committee in place. Jacob Postlewaite talks to Committee Chair Gil Dares on their first meeting and what the next steps could be to curb the problem. And how is inflation and the rising cost of food affecting Nova Scotians? We chat with Margaret Chapman of Narrative Research about their findings. The Weekender returns in a moment on Y95. Welcome back to The Weekender on Y95. I'm Kevin Northup. Tonight... An induction dinner for the Yarmouth Town and County Sports Heritage Association's Hall of Fame. We haven't been able to say that for a few years, of course, because of the pandemic, but we are back now and we have some great inductees and a couple of teams going in uh, tonight to the Hall of Fame here in Yarmouth. It's always an honor for these athletes to be recognized, and sometimes it's it's years after they've played competitive sports, but uh, certainly they come back, they reunite, and it's always uh a great time. With us this morning to talk about tonight's ceremony is the director of uh, Yarmouth Town and County Sports Heritage Association, Gloria Goodwin. Gloria, good morning. Thank you for being here. Well, you're welcome. Glad to be here. I know we've got a busy day coming up for you, so we appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Gloria, this has been years in the making, hasn't it? How it, long has it been since we've had a ceremony? It's been three years. The last one was 2018. And we had plans in place to do 2019, and then within two weeks of when we were going to have the dinner, the pandemic hit, and that was the end of that. So it's been three full years now. How has it been for the for the association, you know, through the pandemic, staying in touch, uh, making sure things are okay and planned? It's difficult. There's The money's getting really tight now because we've, got, we've had no income for three years. So we're, we're barely hanging on, but... There's five of us on the executive, and that we're keeping the building open. We're lucky that the past couple of summers we've had a summer student through the Acadia Band Office, the the Native people. They provided a summer student for eight weeks, and they provided they paid for her and paid for all her expenses, like her Canada pension and all that. So we've done well that way. So we're looking forward to that uh, arrangement again next year. That's certainly really nice, uh, nice yeah. to have for yeah. sure, and, and yeah. being able to keep that building open. I mean, yeah. you walk in there, and it's a uh, it, 335 Main Street, by the way, in case mm-hmm. you, you don't know where it is. But I think everybody in Yarmouth knows the uh, the, the uh, museum there. Yeah, um, yeah. So many great memories through that building, isn't there? Yes, there certainly is. Yes. Yeah. 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 And uh, for, for that, is is that still open for the season or is it a summertime thing? It's, it's, uh, it's seasonal. We have the summer student for the eight weeks and then we have volunteers who work May and June, the summer student July and August, and then we go September to the middle of October with volunteers again, mm-hmm. and then the middle of October we close down again. Okay. We just it's we can't afford to heat the building and you know, yeah. And uh, what was the summer like? Did you notice a lot of visitors coming? Through? There were more than last summer. Yeah, I don't know if it's a cat. I hope it's a cat, <laughs> but uh, there were more visitors this summer than last summer. Yeah. So things are going nicely well, there, there, getting there. some more folks in. I hope. Yeah. 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 Families we're looking for. Like, yeah. Most people come in, they want to see something about the grandfather or their uncles or aunts that they knew that had 
done something in sports and they want to see the the artifacts right. like you know like hockey sticks or jerseys or mm-hmm. pictures pictures especially oh yeah i mean yeah. You, you yeah. walk in there and, and even like pictures of the gateways from like the 30s are in yeah. there yeah oh like, they're treasures yeah, yeah they they really are i know that the gateways i think they played the red Sox years ago yes didn't they? yes yeah, yeah. I mean, we've had some notable people in there. Of course, we've been in several locations in town. That when the Sports Hall of Fame started out in the basement of Bruce Hopkins' house on <laughs> Brunswick Street, and then it moved to several locations. We were in the old um, Bank of Nova Scotia building. We were in where Zellers used to be. We were in several locations until we bought this property at 335 Main in 2008. So we... Uh, the association's been going 25 years this year. It's our anniversary, 25 years. 25 years. Well, yes. a remarkable 25 years. Yes. And I think so important to celebrate sports in this area. And yes. for you, Gloria, how satisfying is it to be able to, to walk in there and see all the memories? And then tonight you're going to see even more inductees even that more. are coming. Yes, yes. And we're going back to the original spot. The very first dinner in, was uh, it, uh, at the Lions Club. Uh, one march <laughs> and there was a snowstorm that night it was bad and so we <laughs> thought well we can't do this in march anymore we'll go to may so we moved to may and went to the grand but then it's so expensive that we just and the lions club have been good to us this year so we're back to the lions club so it's going to the lions club and it's uh tonight i think things get underway at six thirty. yes it's 6 30 yes okay. uh, so yes. The, at the lions club um how many years now for the actual dinner Part of it. I know we, we took three years off, but uh, this is the well, the di- first dinner was in 1997. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's been a few years. It's been a few years. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. been a few years for sure. Yeah. Well, without further ado, I guess let's get to some of the inductees uh, here this evening. And uh, I know you've got uh, you're looking at a couple of teams there. I know we've got the uh, Yarmouth Mosquito Baseball uh, Provincial Championships ch- champions, I should say. From 1973. Wow, so that's amazing. Yes, and there's about 13 out of that whole team that are going to be there tonight. Wow. Yeah, so that we've done well with that one. What yeah. a great, uh, you know, reuniting of of, uh, of teams. And I'll, yeah. I, I've got the names here, if I can run them down. Uh, hopefully I'm saying them all correctly. Uh, uh, Brian Beshera, Brian uh, Durkee, I believe. Yes. Kurt Gowdy, Scott Kennedy, Craig Landry, uh, Sheridan Lawrence. I know Sheridan. Uh, Troy Lawrence, Rodney McKinnon, Alan Nickerson, Danny Sisko, Ricky Sisko, Robbie Sisko, uh, Dirk Smith, I think, uh, Kenneth Surratt, Charles LeBlanc, and Michael Mooney. So yes, and there's two additionals that aren't on your list: Mike oh. LeBlanc, the the coach, the two coaches, mm-hmm. Mike LeBlanc and uh, Bobby DeVoe. Uh-huh. Yeah. Very I nice. I forgot to get them on. This yeah, that's yeah. okay. Uh, well, yeah. we, we we've mentioned them, and that's uh, yeah. uh man, uh, amazing from from 1973. So when you see that. And, and and they come up there. Uh, what what do you notice the most about you know getting together at a table and, and kind of talking about the old days? And they're always saying, "Oh, it's, I I don't know how we've lived this long." Like, <laughs> how, then they say, "Well, we're we're going to have difficulty getting away from this table to get up there." You know, like. <laughs> but they're always they're always a lot of fun. All mm-hmm. the teams, they're a lot of fun. Definitely. So, yeah, so yeah. how it'll work? Uh, there'll be a presentation for them, and then yes. they'll come up and accept the. Yes, the, the team will come up as a group, and then they'll be given each a certificate. Mm-hmm. By like, some of the head table will take jobs, like giving out the head cert- the certificates. So, yeah. And uh, 
a younger team, but uh, I think uh, these these guys are all uh, definitely adults now. Uh, the Yarmouth uh, Midget AA Mariners Hockey Provincial Champion team from the 06-07 season. Yes. So that was the year I, uh, I graduated high school, so I'm oh. sure these guys are obviously all adults <laughs> now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's a remarkable run for them, and, and, and uh, for those guys, you know, they'll look back and celebrate that provincial championship tonight, too. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, some of the names here on, on that list, again, I'm hoping I'm saying them correctly, uh, Stan Bechera, uh Jeremy Baban, Scott Pottier, uh, Alain Bork, uh, Matthew Shea, Philip Dontremont, Matthew Wood, Andrew Dulong. We have uh, Kyle Thorburn, Tristan Reed, who I think is also a pitcher, very good pitcher. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, okay. Tristan. Tristan's an awesome pitcher. He's pitched for the uh, Shrose Island Schooners just this past year. Uh, Dylan Saunier, Matthew McCarron. Brett Trask, Mark McIntosh, uh, Stephen Kroll, Jordan Murphy, Corbin Gallagher, Derek uh, Chandler, Brandon Gowdy, and then you've got your head coach, Hector Baban, uh, assistant coach, Elroy Dontremont, assistant coach, Chris Newell, and uh, manager, John McIntosh. So there you yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah. So that's who will. Uh, An excellent team. A very excellent team indeed. Yeah. So yeah. their accomplishment will certainly be, uh, be looked at. And uh, so those are our two teams that are going in this year. Yes. And we have different categories. I know for individual athletes every year, so you have like an actual, you know, an athlete, somebody who's helped build or, or been an athlete. And uh, this year we have a media participant. So for, yes. first I want to go to uh, our track and field honoree, uh, Jim Rideout. Uh, if you want to uh, shed some light, talk a bit about Jim Rideout and what he means to sport. Yes, he he started out as a 14-year-old in track and field, wow. so he for a long, long time and did and amassed many provincial marks on, in track and field. Excellent, excellent uh, athlete, mm-hmm. and uh, and still and, uh, still lives locally and is still involved in, in running, as far as I understand. Very yeah. good. Yeah. And how many years ago was he involved in the track and field? Well, all through his, his youth and high school and, and university. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. And that would have yeah. been the 70s or 80s or yes, 90s? Yes, yes. Okay. 1971. 71. Okay. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So uh, so Jim's going to get that uh, certificate to tonight? Yes, for track and field. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And uh, we also have as a builder and athlete, uh, Mario Ross. And that's a name that I know a lot of people know around here. Yes. So, yes. Uh, tell us a bit about Mario. He, he's been involved since 1990. An excellent athlete. Uh, uh, he has an eighth degree black belt master. He has two fifth degree black belts and one fourth degree black belt. So he's, oh, he's just... Amazing. Uh, that, that is. That, yeah. that, and that takes a long time to, to gather all Hours that, and hours and hours. Yeah. Yep, Dedication. Yep. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. so Mario gets that honor. And yet you think about sports. Uh, it could be anything from hockey to baseball, like we're seeing here, to track and field. And uh, yeah, karate is also in yeah, there too. Yeah. Martial arts is de- is a yeah, sport. It's a big one. Yeah. yeah so, uh, and I know there's a big uh, contingent of Taekwondo athletes from here too, with the local club that's going on. Yes, so, yeah. uh, and I know Taekwondo and karate are two different things, but like, yeah. uh, certainly martial arts are very inspirational um, there to see Mario go in, and uh, and that'll be great, to, great for him and and, and great for the for the community. Absolutely, yes, yes. and I want to mention as well uh, one more inductee here. Um, the late Donald Parnell is going in in the media category. Uh, Don, I I knew him. 
uh, very well over the years, and he was a guy that just nothing phased him. If there was a, t- he he was behind the camera most of the time doing the technological aspect of it. Uh, not much ever phased him, so it's nice to see him yes. him going in. Yeah, well, when he was nominated, which was like three years ago, he was still alive, and it's a shame that mm. he's passed away and isn't going to be able to be there yeah. tonight. But his wife will be there. Yeah. That that'll be nice to Marianne. see. Marianne, yes. yeah, Marianne will be there for yes. sure. Uh, yeah. uh, a great honor for Don, and uh, and that carried over. I mean, he started at uh, the Viking Cable days, as we say here. Um, yes. With uh, now it's Eastlink. Um, back in the, I think the seventies and eighties, he was really in, uh, integral y- there. Yes, yes. One of the one of the founders, and 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 that work just continued on for him. And uh, I know at the hockey games now with the Mariners, they have uh, what's called MC Media. Um, for producing the games for for hockey TV and and Don was also involved in that uh, in his in his later years and that's where I got to know him and uh, I, like I said if we had a technical problem uh, nothing phased him yeah. uh, he would he would uh, certainly be willing to help out in any aspect he could and did all sorts of jobs wore all sorts of hats uh, for for MC Media too so I know uh, I know Quinn and and Nick and everyone at MC Media will be happy to see him going yes, as well as we are. All of us are yes, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, so that'll be our uh, our class of of twenty twenty two, and and them and their families uh, will certainly be there. So uh, and what, al- also yeah. in our in our program booklet this year we have a page dedicated to four individuals who were very instrumental in keeping the sports hall of fame going: mm. Victor McGuire, Tom White, Paul Britton, and Stan Clayton. Yes, two of them. Victor McGuire and Tom White were two of the original people on the committee that started the Sports wow. Hall of Fame, so they were they're missed. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Tom White was a oh, he an amazing was, baseball person. Wasn't yes, he, around the community. oh my, his memory about ba- baseball just unreal. Yeah. he could tell you a story like he'll go back and say like in 1971 on March the fourth, there was a <laughs> basketball or a baseball game and in the third inning this, there were two people on and he knows. He knew everything. Like he just, the memory was just phenomenal. And those yeah. are things that you can't look up on the computer. No, you have no. to remember that. Yeah, yeah. Because it was so long ago, and it was local sports. <laughs> yes. And and with that, with the with the museum, with the Yarmouth Town and County Sports Heritage Association, that's why it's so important. So those memories don't fade away. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's it, a nice building. I hope more people will come into that building. There are some treasures in there. Like I say, the photographs especially. You know, it's uh, it's all been donated. You know, it's it, uh, even the furniture in there, the cabinets have all been donated. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's the, the town has done us very well, the community, you know, yeah, keeping uh, us going. Yeah, It's a great place to visit. It, yeah, it, it, it sure really is, is if, yeah. you're, if you're looking to, uh, and I know, uh, you know, any day during the summer or when when you're open i'm hoping people can stop in and, yes. and and see that and and it even goes to recent history i mean when we hosted the world junior a challenge here in 2012 and 13 uh there's there's things about that the yarmouth mariners as well so yes. if you're interested in yes. them uh, and there's a lot of high school memorabilia yes. in there you know going going back years and years yeah. Yeah. we've had amazing yeah. provincial championships in in yarmouth yeah. for for yeah. high school sports and yeah uh, i know two more will be uh, uh Celebrated tonight with the teams, and as we said, uh, Mario Ross going in as a builder and athlete, Jim Rideout in track and field, and uh, the late Don Parnell going in in the media uh, category. So this is fantastic. Again, tonight it is uh, 6.30. 
this is coming up. So, yeah. um, is this just open for the inductees or the public? Open to, to the public. Well? Yeah, the, the tickets were on sale at the Sports Hall of Fame and at City Drug, and uh, I, we could still squeeze in a few people if we had to tonight. You know. So, so if, if you're if listening, you think you want to go, then by all means, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll welcome you. Give it. Give you a call for sure. It's at the uh, Yarmouth uh, Lions Club again tonight, uh, and. Uh, wow, here we are. You know, how does it feel for you today to you know look back on 2019 when you had to cancel things and we're we're oh, doing this tonight. We're doing this finally tonight. Yeah, it's it's finally coming together. I've been working, or all of us have been working. The five of us have been working on this for three or four months, and it's finally coming together. That's yeah, great. Yeah, that's great. It's it's great to hear, and uh, I know it's uh, something that's well attended every year, like you said. And yeah. uh, I know tonight will be no different. Well, congratulations to the the athletes and everyone going in, and uh, congratulations to you, Gloria, for for helping to keep uh, those memories alive for so many people in this in this community. It's it's fun. Yeah. yeah, it's work, but it's fun. <laughs> it's work, but it's, <laughs> it's fun. fun. Yeah. As long as it's fun work, <laughs> yeah. then uh, then it's no problem at all, right? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Well, it's not a problem, Gloria. Thank you for coming in. I know okay. today's a busy day for you, so we appreciate your time. Uh, Gloria Goodwin is the director of the Yarmouth Town and County Sports Heritage Association. The induction dinner for the Hall of Fame is tonight at 6.30 at the Lions Club. The Weekender returns in a moment on Y95. Welcome back to The Weekender on Y95. I'm Jacob Postlewaite. Dear in the town of Yarmouth, it's been an issue for some time, and the town is taking steps to deal with it by creating a deer management working group. The group recently met for the first time to start discussion on how to deal with the deer issue. I spoke with the group's chair, town councillor Gil Dares. Tell us about what the deer situation is in the town as it stands right now. Well, I mean, obviously, the the, the deer population in town has um, increased um, significantly in in recent years, um, you know, and and that'll continue because you know these deer are are not threatened, and uh, of course, you know they they have um, you know yearlings every every year. There's a new a new batch that comes out, and uh, so they're they're multiplying in numbers, and uh, it's to the point where I think you know we have to take a really serious hard look at how to control that. So the town has set up the deer management group, and you're chairing the group. Uh, you recently had your first meeting. Uh, how did that go? Well, our first meeting basically was to go through the, um, you know, the, the, the strategy or the, uh, I guess, terms of reference. Uh, go through the terms of reference and and uh, outline where we're going to, what we're going to do, and how we're going to manage it. Um, we're basing it on a model that Truro had uh, developed. They started their process in 2017. And um, and I'll tell you, it's not it's not an easy issue to uh, to tackle. Um, you know, there's there's high emotions on both sides of this issue. You know, there's some people that are, are very protective of the deer and, and you know want to see them um, not see them hurt. There's others I think that would like to see them eradicated. So you know, there's uh, we're trying to find a um, I guess a a long term solution. And you mentioned uh, the Truro management plan. Uh, you guys reviewed and discussed that. Uh, so, how would that plan? Is it would that plan be able to work here in Yarmouth, or are you going to be looking at tweaking it in different ways? Um, you know what we're doing. I guess when I say modeling it, we haven't. We're not adopting their um, their conclusions or their you know the results. What we're looking at is how do they get to where they're at, and um, you know because it, it involves. Um, you know, it involves science. It involves, um, you know, uh, I guess there's a, a number of different 
methods to be considered, and uh, it, some of it is very complicated, some of it's very expensive, um, and some of it uh, is, you know, I guess, you know, not not easily accepted by some people that, you know, prefer to see the animals left alive. Yes, that's definitely, you know, a, a line you kind of have to, to walk, you know, that that wanting to do what's what's best for the town here, but, you know, wanting to be, you know, humane, wanting to be, you know, so, treat these animals with, you know, care and compassion. So is that something you guys are, you know, trying to balance? Absolutely. I mean, we'll be looking at every, every possibility. Um, you know, we've had suggestions of, we've had a number of suggestions of, of uh, possible solutions, including things like, you know, uh, tranquilize and relocate, um, to uh, tranquilize, to trap, neuter, release. You know, there's been all kinds of, of options. And, and, of course, one of them is to, to hold a call. And uh, I prefer not even to use the word call. I think if it comes to that point, then I think it should be considered a harvest. And we should try to, uh, you know, if, if, if it does get to the point where we have to start uh, eliminating the deer, then at least we could make full use of, of the carcass. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about, you know, Tro's plan, uh, but tell me more about some of those other solutions you're looking at. Well, you know, you, you look at trap through to release, and, you know, that's that's been floated out there. Uh, but, you know, in reality, I think, you know, we're not we're not talking about, um, you know, cats at the, at the local wharf. We're talking about a wild animal. It's quite a large wild animal, so it wouldn't only be difficult, it would be extremely expensive. Um, and so it has to be a practical solution as well. It just can't be a... Um, you know, yep, you, you have to look at it from every ag- angle. Um, the I'm told from the research that I've done, and, and it's, it's limited, but I've done some reading on this of uh, other communities that have had similar problems, and and things like um, you know tranquilizing and relocating. Um, some of the research says that uh, that these animals, if relocated into the wild, um, that uh, the mortality rate is quite high. That uh, you know that's not really a um, a humane solution to the problem. So you have to factor that in. Um, there's talk of, uh, for example, you know, bait stations with chemical uh, sterilization. But uh, I, I'm told that some of those those um, drugs that, that would be required are not legal in Canada yet. They're, they're used uh, in, in the United States, but may not be legal in Canada. So it's, it's not an easy um, road to... <laughs> To walk. That's just not an easy solution. It's not, it's not going to be just a show of hands. Which way do we go? We're going to have to do some research. We, we of course, we have to involve the Department of Natural Resources, and and um, you know, if it does come to the point um, at some point that there's a, a call or a harvest, um, you know, you can't do that without approval from the province. And so, the first step, I think, is going to be data collection. Uh, we have to know what numbers we're, t- what we're talking about. Um, we have to. We're looking at things like. Um, you know, how many incidents are there of uh, vehicular collisions with deer? And since these are non-reportable accidents, uh, most people don't bother to call the police or report the accident because it's uh, a no-fault insurance um, when it's an animal strike. So a lot of these go unreported. So we'll be looking for some anecdotal evidence. We'll be looking for all kinds of input from the public. We certainly want the public involved. Um, and uh, we want to make sure that whatever we do, it's, it's the most humane solution possible. Yes, for sure. Like you said, you know, there's a lot of factors there, a lot of things you have to consider. And uh, of course, we're just at the starting point of this uh, process. So um, one thing I saw in the release, you guys mentioned you reviewed processes and timelines. Uh, So tell me a little bit about that. You know, what are what 
kind of is the timeline we're looking at right now for dealing with this problem? Well, as I mentioned, that you know, Toro's timeline was uh, they began the process in 2017, and uh, they are still actively engaged in it. They did hold a call in the spring, and uh, they took 14 animals um, through boat with bow hunters, um, and so it took them four years, you know, or close to five years, I guess, to get to that that stage. I'm I'm suggesting to you that based on the fact that we have um, their knowledge being passed on to us that, you know, we'll be able to move that timeline along significantly quicker. Um, however, I don't want people being optimistic and thinking that the, the, uh, the loose solutions are going to be rolled out in a month or two. Uh, you know, that's, that's not realistic either. Yeah. It's, it's going to be, you know, something that's going to be ongoing. Is that right? It'll have to be, um, you know, even some of the, the measures that are, uh, you know, that have been suggested, um, like, like the chemical sterilization, for example, um, you know, there's some suggestion that, that the effects of that sometimes take as long as 10 or 11 years before you realize the results. So, you know, there's all kinds of, of, uh, all kinds of information that we have to gather first. And as I say, the first, the first round of, of this is going to be data collection. We want to know what the seriousness of the problem. Um, you know, in the neighborhood that I live in, for example, I've taken a picture of 15 deer in my backyard. So, you know, I know that there's a there's a huge number in the in the town, and uh, although some residents aren't bothered by them at all, um, others, uh, you know, are adamantly opposed to having these these animals in the in the town limits. So, how are you feeling about the team that's been brought together to help deal with the issue? I think it's excellent. Um, you know, we had we had. Uh, we had an invite for community members to apply and um, we had, I think 20 applications come in and we had a difficult time, but we did narrow it down to three because that was the recommended uh, number. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm extremely pleased and, and impressed with the, the three individuals that we've chosen. Um, you know, they seem to be extremely open-minded and, uh, and knowledgeable of the issue and, uh, you know, and wanting to work towards a solution. So it's great. Um, and then, of course, as I say, we have, um, you know, the input from the Department of Natural Resources and, uh, you know, the town staff will be supporting us as well. So um, but information gathering, I think, is going to be uh, an ongoing process, certainly. But I think, you know, um, the, the Department of Natural Resources has suggested that the first step of this is to get a, a realistic num- count of the number of deer in the town limits that are like a permanent population. And uh, so, you know, even that's going to be difficult. And are you looking to recruit any more team members uh, in the future? Um, you know, I think, well, eventually, if it, you know, we, we may reach out, for example, we may reach out to some bow hunters if, if it comes to that and say, you know, we, we want some um, recommendations or some information. And it might be wise to have somebody sitting at the table. You know, you're not going to get permission likely to use firearms within town limits. So um, if it did come to the point where it was a call or a harvest, uh, it would probably more than likely be um, with the use of bows. And so um, and you want, you know, you don't want any just anybody with a bow and arrow going out and hunting here. You know, so it would have to be an approved process. But um, all of that, as I say, all that's still up in the air. You know, our first meeting was... Um, was lengthy. It was, um, you know, as I say, going through the terms of reference, which were fairly complicated, and, and there is no easy solution to this. And uh, we want to be respectful of, of all people's, everybody's opinion 
Um, you know, I know that there's gardeners that, uh, that are avid gardeners. And I know I've talked to people that, you know, have almost been in tears with, with the dev- devastation to their gardens. And I've talked to others that, that, you know, um, are opposed to the, the, the bylaw that says they can't feed them. So, you know, at both sides of the issue, for sure. So while the group's doing the work, uh, what advice do you have for the public when they're, when they encounter deer here in town? You know, I think you still have to treat deer as a wild animal. Um, you know, I know that there are people that try to hand feed them. I've heard anecdotal evidence of that. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's important that people realize that these are still wild animals, um, that there's, there's a possibility, and I'm not saying, you know, necessarily, but there's a possibility of, um, of them being, you know, infested with ticks. Uh, deer do have a, a tendency to get ticks, and especially this time of year. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I would say you just don't encourage, um, you know, my, my nephew was, or my grandson, I'm sorry, was out in my backyard one evening and encountered a deer face to face and it became fairly aggressive with him. And uh, it, now probably it was being protective of some fawns that were in the area, but still, you know, they are wild animals and they should be treated as such. Yeah, that's something to keep in mind. You know, when we when we think of deer, you know, we think of them being, you know, kind of timid and you don't you don't often think about the fact that they can be aggressive. So that that certainly is something to keep in mind. It is. And, and uh, you know, there's uh, there's been numerous bucks, of course, that have been um, spotted in town as well. And uh, I just read a newspaper article just days ago where a woman came out of her had been hospitalized after being gored by a buck. So, you know, you do want to be, be exercise caution for sure. Absolutely. Uh, so when is the group planning to meet again? Well, we're waiting right now. Um, the, we didn't set the, the next meeting because of some uh, gate conflicts and people that are going to be out of town. But we're also trying to, um, again, um, hook up with Truro and uh, probably um, virtually and uh, and sort of have a question, a Q&A period with them so we can sort of um, find out where they're at and and, uh, and how the process has worked for them. So we, we would like to engage with them again. And what's the best way for the public to contact the group to share their thoughts and suggestions? Well, I, you know, you'll see, you'll see um, it is posted on our town website. So, you know, we were monitor- we'll be monitoring the comments on there as well. Um, in the future, uh, there will be public information sessions and uh, in, in all likelihood a public survey. So you can expect that we'll be reaching out to the public um, more than once uh, because we really, really do want to get public input on this. This is not something that that uh, is it's a complicated issue. It's also a very emotional issue. And we want to make sure that, you know, we have um, that we respect everybody's opinion. For sure. And do you have any final thoughts about, you know, starting to deal with the deer issue here in Yarmouth? You know, I think... Um, no, I, I really don't. I mean, I know that it's, you know, I, we moved here, I moved here many years ago, like 40 years ago, and I can remember that uh, as I was policing the community, and, and on on a night shift on a rare occasion, you might see a deer on Prospect Street or on Argyle Street on the other end of the town, but it was a rare occasion. Um, and now um, I can honestly say that there's very seldom a day goes by that I don't encounter deer two or three times. So it's, uh, it just gives you an indication how the population has exploded over the years. Deer that are living here in town uh, uh, as well, are, these are like, um, not just first-generation deer. <laughs> these, are, these deer have lived here in town for many, many years. 
we'll be certainly keeping an eye on that and uh, keeping an eye on what you guys are going to be doing. Thanks so much for chatting with me, uh, Gil. I really appreciate it. No problem, Jacob. You have a great day. That was Town Councilor Gil Dares, chair of the Town of Yarmouth's Deer Management Working Group. The Weekender returns in a moment on Y95. Welcome back to The Weekender on Y95. I'm Kevin Northup. Inflation, high food prices, high gas prices, it's something that's on all of our minds right now as we uh, come on the downswing of the pandemic. And uh, a number of, of surveys, a number of data are out there about these issues and and kind of where things are trending right now. And uh, who better to have on to talk about this than uh, the uh, COO and uh, partner with Narrative Research, Margaret Chapman, uh, joining us on the line this morning. Margaret, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to talk to us today about these issues. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Margaret, uh, I know, you know, narrative research has had a lot of, of different, uh, I guess, data out there and uh, have, have put the question out to many uh, Canadians. And I know you mentioned you have maybe three or so kind of surveys out there right now. Uh, talk about from your standpoint, uh, I guess, where things are right now uh, with inflation and how people in Nova Scotia especially are feeling. For sure. So we reached out, this is a national survey that we did last month and really tried to explore a whole bunch of facets of what's going on with the economy and what the effect is on people's daily lives. And I guess to start, the thing that kind of blew me away is that 92% of Canadians told me that they are concerned, either extremely or somewhat concerned about the impact of inflation and rising cost of living. And that really told me that uh, the economic times that we're living in are affecting nearly everybody. And, uh, you know, supply chain issues are a concern to three quarters of people. And uh, people are, are worried about affordability of housing as well. 71% of uh, Canadians told us that they're worried about that. So uh, I guess at a high level, people are are telling us that they're worried about it. And then uh, we kind of dug into the results a little bit to see what that means in their daily lives as well. Just an amazing number there, 92% of Canadians. And it's and it's even Canadians that are, uh, you know, living in the upper class, I guess is what we would call it, maybe even two years ago that are now maybe looking at their bills and looking at inflation and, and struggling a bit, right? Yeah, it's really widespread. You know, any of the results that we we receive, we take a look at how they might differ by income level or by age and all sorts of things. And pretty universally, people are concerned about the impact of inflation and, and the rising cost of everything that happens in our daily lives. That said, households with um, less than $100,000 income for the household are more concerned about housing particularly. Um, than Canadians with higher household incomes, which which makes sense. Um, and Canadians who are a bit older, so in the 55-plus age bracket, are more likely than younger people to be concerned about um, what's going to happen to our economy given kind of global um, factors like the invasion of the Ukraine by Russia. So um, a few little differences, but I, I would say across the board, um, people are worried. And what it kind of means in terms of day-to-day lives is that people are making changes to how they're buying goods and services. So uh, about half of people told us that they're actually going without and buying less as a result of 
these uh, the rising cost of of goods and inflation, which is a really startling number. That uh, you know people are are making choices at the grocery store or um, considering how they're going to fill up their car. Um, you know, are they going to do it as often? Are they going to uh, really is that trip worthwhile? Um, people are buying in bulk in case things run out, so they're worried about supply chain. And you know, maybe they've seen empty shelves at various points over the last couple of years, and they're worried about availability. So a third of people told us they're doing that. Um, it's really interesting too. A quarter of people are buying secondhand and trading with other people, so trying to economize that way. And uh, of course, back in the summer, um, 21% of people said that over the last three months they were growing their own food. So a lot of kind of going back to some uh, different ways of living, trading, recycling, um, buying secondhand, growing their own food, that sort of thing to try and economize and, and uh, cope with the rising prices. And it's it's something else to hear. And, and you describe all of those different things and, and the ways that people are looking at, at at maybe saving money. And I can think of myself, you know, <laughs> I think I've done the same thing in a lot of uh, instances. So this is uh, obviously these these surveys through narrative research uh, are really, really relatable to to the average Canadian uh, who's who may be struggling right now. And I know especially at the at the gas tank, you know, you, you look and. Uh, I used to be able to fill up my car for what forty dollars, and now in a lot of cases it can be sixty-five or seventy dollars. So a lot of Canadians are feeling that uh, that pinch right now. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting that only sixteen percent of Canadians said that they're not making any changes to the way that they're purchasing. So again, it it tells me that. Uh, the rising prices are really affecting people on a universal level. Almost everyone is feeling it in some way. So, you know, if you look at those people who are not affected, it it does tend to be people with the higher ho- household incomes. And then you look at the people who are affected. Well, it it is to a greater extent younger people. Millennials um, are more likely, for example, to be buying secondhand or trading with others to cope. And lower income earners are more likely to tell us that they are going without or have bought less in the last three months. Margaret, do you see this affecting a lot of? You mentioned millennials, um, younger people, young couples that are looking to start out, maybe either. Uh, building their own house, their first house, or uh, buying their own their own house. And I can remember my first house was ten or years ago or so, and it was under a hundred thousand dollars. Now it's it's pretty impossible to find that. Absolutely, yeah. And like another part of the survey, we asked kind of what are your financial concerns, and a third of people said kind of related to what we've been talking about, that they're worried about paying for housing and accommodations. And the people who say that are more likely to be younger, um, probably starting out, maybe they're renting right now, and they're worried about, you know, the possibility of of being able to afford housing going forward. Um, in that same question, 40% of people told us that they're worried about affording healthy food. So when we hear that people are going without buying less, changing what they're purchasing, you know, in some cases, the the less healthy food is cheaper. And so people are making choices and a lot of people are worried about um, being able to afford healthy food. There's also a quarter of people worried about being able to pay for telecommunications needs. And a quarter of people are worried about being able to pay for electricity. Um, and a 
similar number are worried about being able to support a family member financially, whether that's an older family member or a younger family member um, paying for education for children. So a lot of widespread impacts, um, you know, you hear about inflation, but what it actually means on the ground is that people are having to make choices and they're building up this concern about being able to afford things, not just luxuries, but day-to-day living expenses. And it makes it hard to <laughs> really to hard to enjoy life and, 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 and do the things that, you know, you might normally do. You might be saving a little bit for that that trip down south or uh, you may have holiday traditions that are coming up. And that might be another thing, too, people could be concerned about is affording Christmas, affording whatever you celebrate. Um, that can certainly play a factor into it as well. Do you find that people are concerned about that aspect of it yet? Yeah, I'm sure there's no doubt that, you know, we look at, at what people are worried about and it, it is the kind of day-to-day basics. So if people are worried about being able to afford healthy food or worried about, um, you know, being able to pay for electricity or uh, telecommunications, of course, they're they're going to be doing without some of the the more fun, <laughs> luxurious, you know, trips or things that they, you know, not necessarily even luxury, but just leisure and and entertainment. Those are the nice to have things that would be difficult to afford if the necessities are are a concern. So absolutely, it's going to mean um, we're going into this period right now. It seems where the people have these financial concerns they may not have had six months ago, a year ago, um, when we were more concerned about the pandemic potentially. And it's it's interesting, you know, when we ask people in Atlantic Canada um, on our Atlantic Quarterly survey about what the biggest concern for them going forward in their provinces, across the board, the most common answer is about health care. But just following that in every one of the four Atlantic provinces, people tell us that they're concerned about inflation, housing, uh, cost of living. So right under the surface of um, of the concerns about healthcare are all of these financial concerns. So it's, it's a tough time right now, for sure. Absolutely. And I, I remember that survey coming out and talking about, you know, especially Nova Scotians. We uh, have talked about our healthcare system uh, many a times here on, on this program and on our, our news as well. And uh, I know they've been debating that in the legislature this week as well as it has uh, it has resumed. So uh, inflation, though, right right there uh, with everything. And uh, Margaret, have you seen another kind of time period like this? I, I mean, I go back to the maybe the uh, the recession in 2008 um, where people are really just trying to to watch what they're spending. Absolutely. Yep. We're um, we're in that kind of period when the luxuries and the nice to have parts of our lives become uh, harder to afford and people are concerned about the day-to-day living costs. Um, I think anytime there's uncertainty about what the future pricing looks like, what um, costs are going to look like in a few months, um, it causes some concern and it actually stops people from spending because they're worried about what's going to happen in a little while. And we've seen this at various points uh, in the past, absolutely. And what do you see as as far as the next uh, year or two uh, going forward here? What do you what what do you might think will will happen as this uh, inflation issue either uh, you know gets better or get worse? Uh, I'm not sure where it's going to go. 
I wish I had a crystal ball to know (laughs) where it was going to go. I can say that um, if inflation continues to rise, we will likely see these concerns get even more heightened. So as I say, right now, almost everyone is, is extremely or somewhat concerned about the impact of inflation and rising cost of living. And if inflation continues to rise, I'm sure that can, that level of concern will will become stronger. Um, you know, if uh, if it starts to level out, I'm sure people will get used to it and and cope as we always do. But um, you know, I don't think things are going to get better unless we see things starting to turn a little bit. Right, and and I can remember as. Remember when the pandemic started, gas prices were what, 50, 60 cents a liter uh, here in Nova Scotia. And now you look over and I think this morning in Yarmouth, it's at uh, $1.71. So uh, uh, something that certainly I think people are getting used to as gas prices did go up in in March significantly. And they haven't really come back down too much, especially uh, diesel. So um, we'll see if those continue to get higher as well. One other thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, Margaret, is uh, our, our seniors, our older population that might be getting ready for retirement. Do you find that more seniors are maybe trying to p- put that off just a little longer uh, because they're uncertain about how retirement's going to go? Yeah, the one of the key financial concerns that I didn't mention is that 43% of people told us that they are worried about saving for retirement. So it is on people's minds, absolutely. Uh, people who are already retired are more likely to say that they don't have financial concerns um, because they're at that stage of their life. But it's the people who are about to retire and um, kind of worried about what their future is going to look like where that those savings are, are definitely um, a concern. Not to say that everyone who's retired has no financial concerns at all, because, of course, on a fixed income or a pension, it's uh, it's difficult um, to be sure to cope with rising prices at the grocery store and at the gas tank and so forth and the, at the gas station and so forth. Um, but um, I think people who are looking towards um, maybe retiring or they're um, they're putting kids through university and that sort of thing are more likely to tell us right now that they have some really immediate financial concerns. And Margaret, just with narrative research, I know it covers a wide range of topics, but when it comes to inflation over the next little while, what are you keeping uh, your eye on the most? Well, I want to, over the, the course of the next few months, keep an eye on how inflation is affecting people. So we're going to continue to ask about purchase behaviors and what people are, what changes people are making in their lives to cope with inflation. So we'll definitely be asking these questions over the course of the next few months, keeping an eye on on trends. It's important not just to have a, a piece of information at a point in time, but to see how it's changing. So we'll be continuing to ask about that. Healthcare is always on our radar. radar. We ask people questions about healthcare all the time. Um, and yeah, it's really important for us to hear from people because it's it's important for governments and for organizations to understand what people are going through. So taking part in, in surveys and research with uh, us and any other organization does help inform public policy and uh, what people do uh, given the economic times. So if you get a call from us or an email from us, uh, we'd encourage you to take part and have your voice heard. 
That's right. Could be contributing to a very uh, important cause for sure, getting that information uh, out there. And and you talked about healthcare and and, and Nova Scotia as well. Uh, I know there are some major concerns uh, with that. And like we said, it's being talked about in the legislature. Uh, things like uh, wait times in the ER, uh, wait times for ambulances, those kind of things. Yeah, um, healthcare is a, a really important topic, and we look at it in in depth to try and understand what people's experiences are like, as well as what their perceptions are. And uh, we have it's another whole other conversation for sure, but um, we have found that people are are generally um, satisfied once they get into the healthcare system that they're having generally good experiences, but they're telling us really loud and clearly that. Um, it's difficult to access healthcare. So wait times for uh, different specialists or getting a, an appointment with their GP, if they have a GP, even getting a GP can be difficult. So access is an issue that we've been hearing about um, over the last little while as a, a really important issue. Well, um, Margaret, we thank you so much for your time and, and talking about, uh, well, not only healthcare right there, but of course, uh, inflation, the main subject for this. And uh, we'd love to have you back on at some point and maybe talk about some other issues too. I know narrative research, like you said, does a, a wide range, uh, a wide range of topics. So it's certainly nice to hear from you, uh, Margaret, and uh, thank you for the work you're doing and keeping uh, Canadians informed. Well, thanks for your interest in the, the subject and for having me on the program. Thank you very much. That's Margaret Chapman, a COO and partner with Narrative Research. And that's our program for today. Thanks for listening. For story suggestions or to submit feedback, email news.cjls at radioabl.ca or call our news line at 902-749-1919. To listen to archived versions of our program, visit us online at cjls.com and click on The Weekender. The Weekender is a production of the Y95 Newsroom and is brought to you by Eris Yarmouth, your one-stop healthy home center.